you're going to have to break that down for me and describe for me exactly what Penn does. It's a home here in this country for all of those people. Anybody who writes, but writes with distinction, and has important links with 80-some centers around the world. The important thing about Penn really is that it's an international organization, the only international writers organization. So it is able to speak with a kind of universal voice on behalf of writers, of literature and culture in general. What do you do for the writers? Well, for writers to start with our uh, international network, uh, we, are, we, we serve as a human rights group as well. We uh, monitor uh, writers who are in trouble because of their work in any way, whether they're censored or in prison. Um, they, we, we work all over the world on behalf of writers on all five continents and in this country too. Okay. You know, it's, it's uh, a hard question, what do we do on behalf of writers? Because the fact is that it's not quite a union organization where you'd uh, give benefit X, Y, and Z. It's true that we do have a medical program for members and uh, other side benefits. We have events uh, for members and uh, the general public. But it is particularly a way for American writers to get to know each other and to get to connect with other writers around the world, making sure that uh, there is some kind of international community and they can feel themselves a part of that international mm -hmm. community. So the, the benefits are uh, more to the heart and mind, let us say, than to the pocketbook. Okay, well tell me this, do you, do you in any way, um, whether it's intentional or, or just by chance, help writers to get their works across? I think about it through a lot of our programs we do. Um, to begin with the beginning, which is to say that a writer must have support if he can sit down and write, we publish the grants and awards for American writers that you have in front of you, which is the only uh, complete directory of grants and awards to American writers. Well, I should hasten to say that Penn does not administer all of the grants and awards that are in that book. It's, it's a compilation of all of the organizations and all of the awards available in this country. Oh, okay. Available for $6 from Penn headquarters. Okay, so in this, in this publication, writers can find out what other writers have received grants and awards no, for. Not quite. They can find out where they can go okay, for support. I see. Okay. Now tell me this. Uh, people would have to be members of, of Penn. For oh what? Uh, in order to receive these no, informations? No, no, no. Okay. no, not at all. That book is uh, for sale to Penn members and to absolutely anyone. Uh, it's fairly widely distributed, and we have a strong you know, direct mail network in the office. Uh, we advertise it, and we update it every uh, 18 months to two years. Okay. And those awards are available to anybody. Mm -hmm. okay. I, I should make clear that uh, though Penn's membership is uh, fairly stringent, that is to say the demands are that uh, authors have published two works of literary merit, and there is a board, a uh, committee that supervises uh, those who want to become members and looks over their work and makes this... Uh, judgment, frankly, as to the merits of those who wish to become members. Mm. And so we have only approximately 1,800 writers in America who are members of the American Penn Center. Uh, but the grants and awards here that all of these organizations 
give are open to everybody, mm -hmm. and uh, the awards that Penn specifically gives, the prizes that it gives, are uh, available to members and non-members. And the public events that we have are mm -hmm. available to members and non-members. There are so many writers out here that haven't had the opportunity to get their works exposed and or published. Do you have or know of any avenues for freelance writers that have, are good but haven't been so-called, quote-unquote, successful? Well, um, first of all, but quite before we answer that, I just further to what Penn does for writers who have not yet uh, made it or been successful. Uh, the book is sort of the very beginning, but then the next step is what happens when you have a manuscript. Maybe you've sold a couple of stories or a couple of poems, but you're still at the beginning of your career, and it's a you know, tough world to break into. Another program we have is something called the New Writers' Evening, mm -hmm. which in fact... Um, takes place tonight. Takes place, one of them takes place tonight. And at these readings, we have established pen members introduce young writers whose work that specific pen member admires a great deal, but it has not yet received major publication. In other words, no one who's introduced can have a book mm -hmm. uh, or a lot of ongoing magazine publications. And the idea is that people in the audience might come from publishing houses who will be turned on by this new writing they hear and uh, offer contracts to the young writers. Which, and in fact, has happened. <laughs> yes. Okay, so so a new writer, say, who, who has not been... Uh, endorsed or who will not be introduced tonight can still come and, and, and hear and see what's going on. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Everyone can come. Uh, as again, like all of our events, they're open to the public. Uh, many of them are, are free, as, as the one tonight is, because it's important to encourage people to come listen to the work of new writers. So the, in the audience, you have, yes, their colleagues, other young writers who have not yet broken through, and you also have uh, publishers and editors who are interested to hear, for example, who Derek Walcott, the extraordinary Trinidadian poet, is going to introduce, or who Allen Ginsberg, who needs no introduction from us, is going to introduce. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Those two, will, and uh, Scott Mamaday will also be introducing tonight. So that's, that's the way that evening works, and it usually does yield something for those young writers. Now, this evening, of course, is tonight. It begins at 8 o'clock, and it's at 450 Columbus Avenue, which is between 81st and 82nd Street tonight. That's right. How long do you expect to go on? Oh, 8 to 10. You know, I've often heard that. Um, I, I, I shouldn't say heard because then it sounds like I'm pulling myself out of the writer's uh, environment. And of course, I'm, I am in the writer's environment, but I've never written a book or anything like that. But I've often heard that successful authors of um, novels or fiction or nonfiction have to be liars. <laughs> they have to be good liars in order to be a good writer. Of fiction, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> you get into a lot of trouble fiction, if you're yeah. a, a liar yeah. in nonfiction. I yeah. happen to do nonfiction. <laughs> Is that uh, true? Do you find that's true? And, well, I'll tell you, I wrote a novel once that has uh, yet to be published, but uh, after writing four nonfiction works, I found it absolutely liberating to be able to lie, to make up facts, to say uh, the the events that are happening here, I don't have to go to a library and research them to find out if they're true. I don't have to go interview somebody. I know that they're true because I'm making them up mm -hmm. to be true. Uh, and it's true in a sense that, uh, that novelists have this freedom to, uh, to lie. On the other hand, every novelist will tell you that uh, their form of uh, making up is getting something that's truer than truth. They're getting closer to the truth than those who are bound simply by the uh, facts mm -hmm. and the objective world. Mm -hmm.
What do you think is the key, though, to success? Uh, let's take a novelist or an, an author of uh, nonfiction or even of fiction. What do you think is the key to success? You, you hear you know so many... What, uh, you know what Einstein said. What? It's 99% labor and 1% inspiration. <laughs> and when asked about his own work, and uh, I think that's probably right. Uh, it's been refined to be 99% perspiration and 1% Inspiration. Perspiration. Um, I, that's, uh, as, a, as a writer, I would say that's about it. Work, work, work. Mm -hmm. People often sit back. We hear those stories all the time. The writers are at home, and they write, and they write, and they write, and they write, and they end up with so many things on the shelf, and they never get anywhere with it. And I often wonder why people do that, why they continue to do that and never make any money. It's, it's got to be some bizarre form of dedication. Well, it's not easy to get published. I know. And I have, in addition to this unpublished novel of mine, I have other things that have never been published. So even though I have a perfectly acceptable track record of, uh, of five books published, there are others that uh, nobody wants to, to deal with. Publishing is a very, very tough business to break into. What do publishers look for? Money. No, I mean, as I'm far as I'm not joking. I'm not kidding. Their publishers are looking for money, and they're looking for works that will make money. They would rather do that with distinguished books of one kind or another than with trash. But if they get a distinguished book that they don't think will sell, they'll say, sorry, we won't do it. Take it to a university press or take it to a regional or small press. Mm -hmm. uh, the, it is a business in the middle of uh, other businesses. And a great many of them, of course, are owned by corporations that don't care about anything except the bottom line. And this makes it difficult, of course, for the editors in some of these houses who want to publish good works but know that something comes in that's not commercial in any way, mm -hmm. that they would take a bath if they tried to publish even 5,000 copies of that. And they won't, no matter how much they may personally admire the work. Suppose you have um, a work that you'd like to get published and you have some money on your own. Does that make it easier? And if so, how much money should a person have of their own? To, you know, you hear people say, well, I published this myself or something of that nature. Are you talking about publishing or about actually being able to support yourself while you write? Because if you're talking about the latter, that's a tough question to answer. Um, no, not to support yourself, to actually get something published. I don't think that would matter, unless you went to a vanity press and paid for the entire publication yourself. Mm -hmm. And that I suppose uh, could be done between five and ten thousand dollars. I don't know. I've never thought about it. Mm -hmm. But for a an established ordinary publisher, uh, it would uh, be an extremely rare instance that they would be interested in uh, your having money. Mm -hmm. It would be the quality of the work that would decide. I often wonder if that, like so many other uh, areas of career, is uh, <clears throat> who you know. <laughs> as it opposed is. to what you've done? It is in part. But one of the reasons for the kinds of events that Penn has is exactly to make sure that more people who want to write uh, and are writing but not published get to meet uh, the people in New York who make those publishing decisions, to get the editors and publishers together with uh, established and uh, new and aspiring writers. We do have editors and publishers in our membership as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, of course, the membership is primarily writers, but still there is that, uh, that mix and that, uh, that collegiality that, you know, that goes on at pan events between the two groups. 
So if you're an editor, then you don't have to have had something published. No, you have to have had about seven years of uh, of of editing and affecting the publication of what we of quality books of sort of encouraging you know good serious literature. That's that's a qualification for editors. Okay. Members. How does someone become a member? Well, you tell me the qualifications, but what is the procedure for becoming a member of Penn? Anything at all. You can get uh, other Penn members to sponsor you. You can say, uh, hello, I'd like to become a member, and put an application before the committee, and the committee considers your works and, uh, and decides. Okay. And that's all. And at, at that point, uh, there's no further uh, vote or decision by the rest of the membership at all. Okay. So now, um, when we come back, we have to take a break right now. When we come back, perhaps we can get the address and telephone number for people who may be interested in this. And then I'd like to talk about some of the other events that you have coming up. If you'd like to talk with either Karen Kennerly or Kirkpatrick Sale from Penn, give us a call at 955-WLIB or 1-800-332-1023. It's 
Our, our next event, in fact, will be February 25th uh, at St. Peter's Church in New York City, and it's a celebration of black letters. What will be happening is that black writers and performing artists will read from the work of a black writer or writers who had a strong influence on them. Uh, so far, we have uh, David Bradley, uh, who's going to be reading from uh, the work of W.E.B. Du Bois, and Michael Harper will be reading from Robert Hayden, and Gloria Foster mm-hmm. will be reading from The Invisible Man. Oh, that should be interesting. And now, that'll be on the 25th at the same place? That's No, the, at the uh, 25th, this is at St. Oh, Peter's Church. church. Uh-huh. Uh, for those uh, who are not religious, that's the, uh, the church uh, in the uh, City Court building right. at Lexington and something about the 51st. Yeah, 619 uh, Lexington Avenue. What time is 54th, that? 54th, I think. That'll be 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, yes. Yeah. Okay. That, that should be a wonderful evening. Yes, it should be. Uh, it should be. That, uh, alas, um, I'm speaking here as the treasurer. Uh, we're charging two d- $2, uh, <laughs> $2 uh, admission for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, w- it should be worth uh, 10 times that. Mm-hmm. Many of our events we do not charge, uh, and that's why, uh, as a treasurer, I have uh, gray hairs because... Uh, I'm responsible for the budget of this organization, mm-hmm. and uh, so in, in some events we are forced to charge, and uh, this is one of them. But it's only two dollars. Mm-hmm. Look at it. It's, uh, okay, that's cheap. February twenty-fifth. What else is coming up? Well, um, we will be having uh, what we call Silence Voices readings, which are a series that we started last year. They're readings from the work of censored and imprisoned writers in other countries. And the point of these readings are to give a voice to writers who really don't have much of a voice even in their own country. Um, We have um, uh, well-known American writers reading from the work of those writers. For example, in the past we had a Silence Voices honoring South African writers, and June Jordan and Dennis Brutus, among others, Mm -hmm. read their work. Uh, coming up, we're doing, we're arranging one now on behalf of Chilean writers who have been censored through the censorship of magazines down there right now. And uh, then we're having one on the Philippines. And in the long run, we should tell you that uh, in the fall, there will be a distinguished series of great American writers reading from their works leading up to an international congress here in New York, which is the first time in... Uh, Exactly, Gee, 20 uh, years. 20 years now, mm-hmm. uh, that, that uh, there has been a, a pan Congress. But that will be next uh, January and should be a most important literary event. And there will be plenty of events there that will be open to the public. So that should be part of our, our yeah. uh, upcoming programs. Now tell me this. If I have some works that, say, I've written and they haven't been published, can, is, it, is it easy or is it hard for me to, say, have them read at some of your writers' evenings? You would I need don't have any, but I'm just using well, myself hypothetically. Well, just send them to me, you know. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, it, you, would, you need to get somebody who admires your work, who is an established writer, preferably mm-hmm. a member of Penn, who can say, at, uh, call us up and say, at your next uh, new writer's program, would you put me on? Because I have found this uh, young person that I want to bring to the attention of my colleagues and the publishing world. Mm-hmm. And that is normally done by people who are teachers who discover students of great merit, either those at universities or sometimes during summer writing programs. But I suppose it could be done in uh, a variety of other ways if you had a manuscript that you could get to the attention of uh, some of these better-known writers. Right. 
I guess that takes a lot of work, a lot of politics involved sometimes. Good morning, you're on the air. Hello? Oh, hello, I had the radio turned on, I'm sorry. Okay. I have three short questions. First, I want, wondered if either of your guests were familiar with the work of a poet named Jane Cortez. Jane Cortez? Yes. Uh-huh. I am not. Okay. I am slightly, and like it, um, but I, I've only read a few, a, a little bit. Okay, the other thing, I, uh, two other things I want to know was... Uh, Turn your radio down. I'm um, your pardon? I think your radio is up just a little bit. We're getting feedback. No, it's, it's off. Oh, okay. Well, I'm wondering if uh, Allen Ginsberg is appearing as a member of Penn or uh, just as a guest. Allen Ginsberg is appearing as a member of Penn and is going to be introducing a younger writer tonight. And Alan is, by the way, a member of the board and a most uh, cooperative and energetic member of Penn. Uh, as I say, it's the sort of organization that attracts these people and um, for whom the ongoing projects, such as this New Writers' Evening, are important events. They're not minimal in their lives. And that's why you can get people of the quality of Alan Ginsberg. And the last question I asked, I'll, I'll just ask and I'll hang up. I wondered, uh, you know, you mentioned quality work and serious work. When you're talking about, like, a lot of people write poetry, you know, and a lot of people would like to have that poetry published and, and to share it. How do you, now you say that, you know, people should have two publications, uh, you know, so that they can be admitted into the organization. But uh, at another level, how do you judge, you yourself, you as you two individuals judge quality and serious work? Uh, and, and I mean, especially as concerns poetry, I'll just hang up and listen. Okay, thank you. Should I take that? Yes. I think that we judge it the way everybody judges it. I mean, to speak for myself, and I'm sure Kirk feels the same way, that uh, every reader reads with the intent of being affected, moved, instructed. Um, and there's, there's, this, this goes from uh, all of us who just read books to leading critics in the nation. Uh, everyone reads the same way and looks for the same thing. And, and so the notion of, of what is, is quality is, is familiar to everybody. Yeah, yeah but it, it differs uh, from person to person. Uh, and, and some people will look for different things. I think there's probably a, a level below which the quality would seem to be, uh, all would agree the quality was inferior, above which people might begin to disagree on what was more important and what was more interesting in a poem of quality. It's mm -hmm. a, but obviously an extremely subjective and difficult question. Mm -hmm. Tell me something about the Penn Writers Fund. You, do you provide money for professional writers? That's, a, that's an interesting and an important part of what we do, yes. It's not a lot of money, but it is designed for members and non-members uh, alike in the country uh, who need the odd couple hundred bucks to fix the typewriter or to pay the rent uh, or to make sure that uh, they have a heater for uh, their apartment mm -hmm. and the like to tide them over. And we consider it a, uh, a loan, uh, but in fact uh, a great many of those uh, loans are not uh, repaid, and we understand that. Mm -hmm. Now, do these people who qualify for this and under the uh, Pan Writers Fund have to also have had something published already? They have to have something published. Well, they have to be writers in, in some demonstrable way, yes. But it could even be something, say, if they just had a small article published yes. in a magazine? Yes, yes, that's okay. so. Yeah, yeah. They don't have to be members. And then, uh, for, for those in, in this sort of need, they would simply write a letter to Penn, whose, uh, whose address we should uh, alert okay, people yes. to. Uh -huh. well, what is the address? Is, is this in on Broadway? Yes. yes. 568 Broadway on the fourth floor, and the zip code, of course, is 10012. Let's take one more call. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. Yes. Um, first of all, I'd like to say that I've had um, four little books 
published on my own, and I sell them on my own. Right? These people seem to be very um, well endowed poets, you know, they really know what they're talking about. I just like to read one of mine, just get their criticisms on it. Is it short? Very. Okay. It's called Like Faces Caught. It says, Like Faces Caught Across a Traffic Stop, We Move the Pot Each to His Own Highway. I saw you slip off in a green flash whose automatic hand is blindly shaped with brief finality, one-way roots and time. Clutching blues, I gear myself and boldly steer past memories jammed together. Through the mirror disappears what might have been a rutted, unlit road. So on a way, on we move madly, ever fixed, ever changing, on ever-changing tracks, over chameleon trails, on other intersections, other faces caught, ever just passing through. My name is Eric Pancham. I hang up and hear what they have to say. Okay, before well, you I comment, I just want to remind everyone that you're listening to WLIB New York, and it is 12 o'clock. Okay. Well, I uh, certainly hope, Eric, that uh, somebody else was listening and uh, you get a publisher. Uh, it's difficult to tell orally like that uh, what the real merit of the poet is, but there is obviously some uh, some music there. Yes, I thought so, too. Really and uh, it... it uh, what what one would have to do is to sustain that uh, poem to poem, uh, make a uh, a body of work uh, that would attract a publisher, and then just uh, go the rounds. And it's an extremely laborious and depressing occupation. One reason uh, to try for an agent, although I don't know any agents who uh, handle poetry, is that the agent uh, has that laborious and depressing job. But uh, <coughs> for most people who do poetry, it's up to them to do it. Uh, if I had any particular piece of advice on how, I would find the publisher of the poems most like it and go to that publishing house, because that is likely to have the editor who will like your poetry. If, you're, if you can find some uh, publishing house and editor that has an identity with poets that you like, it's possible that they will have an identity with your poems as well. Okay, I want to ask you a couple of questions about the uh, background of Penn, and of course we have another call on the line, but let me remind everyone first that in just about 10 or 15 minutes we are hoping to talk with either Congressman Charles Rangel about this uh, coalition that has been formed to try to slate a mayoral candidate, or if we do not talk with Congressman Rangel, we'll be talking with uh, Joe Bragg, our reporter at City Hall, in about 10 or 15 minutes. I understand that Joe is monitoring us now, so Joe will be with you in just a very short time. In the meantime, good afternoon. You're on the air. Hello? Yeah. Y yes. I'm, I'm writing a book, and I found that at the end of it, I, most of I was getting my own thoughts, but I was also getting other, uh, inspiration from other books. And... In the beginning of the book, they always say that no part may be extracted or, you know, you can't use the, no part of this book could be reprinted unless you get a permission of the publisher. But what I like to know, I, the, the, the words are just, I think, I, I believe in, you know, what, what you know, was, was said by the, by, by the book, right? So I would like to know if I could go ahead and copy, in my words, these things that's in the book, even though they say you can't, you know, use it again, I'd like to ask the gentleman if you could answer that for me. Okay, would you like to hang up and listen? Okay. Okay. Well, you can use uh, some words uh, if it's done for a literary purpose, but uh, that is a short excerpt. Uh, 
that is to say, probably no more than a paragraph. The legal question here is uh, somewhat uh, murky. But uh, if you were to use a paragraph from someone else's work, you could probably do so without permission, provided it's, it was acknowledged as the work of somebody else. If it's longer than that, you would need to get uh, permission from the publisher to use it, and the publisher would normally ask the author. But if you were starting to go around giving no credit, not putting this material in quotation marks, or changing every fifth or tenth word to your own word, that would be plagiarism. And uh, it is against ethics and against the law. Okay. I would not advise that. I, I do think you should read others' works, and I do think you should take inspiration, but I don't think you ought to take pages from them. I have to interrupt you right now because we do have uh, Joe Bragg live from City Hall uh, with the Fire Commission, and we do need to talk to him. But let me just repeat for everyone listening that the New Writers' Evening again is tonight at 8 o'clock, and it's at 450 Columbus Avenue between 81st and 82nd Street. And, of course, if people would like to get more information about Penn, they may uh, contact either Karen Kennelly or Kirkpatrick Sale at 568 Broadway. They're on the fourth floor there in New York, 10012. If you have just a few moments, I want to ask you just a few more questions. But in the meantime, it is 12.05 right now, and Joe Bragg is on the line with the Fire Commissioner. Joe, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay. I, have, I have Fire Commissioner Joseph Spinato standing right next to me. Uh, he just came out of the Blue Room and News Conference with the mayor. They have um, secured a device that will save the lives of trapped and unconscious firefighters. Commissioner, what is this? Uh, well, Joe, this is a, a pass device, which is a short, uh, a short term for personal alert safety systems. Uh, and what it is, it's a, it's a gadget, uh, as you can see. It looks like a, a small uh, pocket uh, portable radio. And uh, the firefighter attaches this to his coat uh, before he enters uh, into a uh, fire situation. Uh, if he is immobile, if he is, uh, say he goes down, uh, and uh, is in distress and is not moving. If he is motionless for 30 seconds, this device will start sending out a very loud, uh, screechy type beep, which alerts the other firefighters uh, in the area, uh, and they don't even really have to be in the area because it's so loud you can hear it for quite a distance. Uh, the other firefighters will be alerted that some one of their uh, one of their members is in trouble. And uh, it's, it's a very important device for us because just last week we almost lost a fire lieutenant who got lost in a basement fire and uh, uh, became immobilized. Uh, there was debris had fallen on top of him. Uh, some stock that was stored in this basement had fallen on top of him. And he became unconscious rather quickly. Uh, the other firefighters in that company, realizing that the lieutenant was missing, then started a frantic search for him. And it took them approximately 10 minutes to find the man. Now, uh, in that 10 minutes, that lieutenant inhaled a great deal of uh, toxic smoke, and uh, his uh, carbon monoxide level was at a level that, uh, in, all, in all likelihood, he, he should have been dead. Uh, but we were fortunate. He was fortunate, thank goodness, and, and uh, he, uh, he survived. But that type of situation happens in the fire department almost every day. And like Mayor Koch said at the press conference, this device is to the firefighter what the bulletproof vest is to the cop. And we're, we're thrilled that we were able to, uh, to buy these 
and uh, to provide them uh, to our firefighters. Firefighters' job is, is really hazardous. I was in Brooklyn this morning at that four alarm on Pitkin Avenue, and I saw the firefighters in that cup way up there in the air shooting water into this burning building, and they are faced with danger all the time. And I remember another fire out there in Brooklyn, I think it was at one of those uh, 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 supermarkets where a lot of firemen got trapped, and I think we lost a couple. This, you say, will hopefully prevent all that. Well, uh, obviously, we, we can't, we can't uh, prevent collapse. Uh, we can't prevent the inherent dangers that go along with firefighting. You're right, Joe. Uh, it is the most dangerous profession that anyone can, uh, can take up. Uh, they're, they're, as long as there are going to be fires, uh, those dangers are, are real. You've witnessed them yourself. Uh, this device is just another measure another weapon that we can give the firefighter in his arsenal uh, for safety equipment. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, firefighters are going to continue uh, to get hurt. And uh, what we seek uh, every day is to just provide them with the equipment and urge them to use their equipment uh, the way it's intended to be used for their own safety and for their own protection. This isn't a very expensive item. It's a little yellow cylinder-like uh, piece of equipment. No, it's uh, relatively inexpensive, actually. Uh, we were able to contract uh, for approximately $60 per unit. Uh, as you know, we are purchasing 2,500 units. Uh, that comes roughly, my arithmetic is not that good, but that comes roughly to $150,000. Uh, all of which money, by the way, is not coming from taxpayer dollars. Uh, the money's coming from a private foundation called the Fire Safety Foundation and uh, the money for these uh, devices uh, all contributed by uh, major corporations in the city. So uh, we're very happy with this and uh, we look forward to uh, sometime in the not too distant future of saying yes another guy was saved, another person's life was saved, uh, another firefighter was found uh, long before he got into serious trouble. Uh, when will this equipment go online? When will they have it? Well, we have 200, approximately 230 of them are out in the field right now, and they were distributed to companies in uh, Manhattan and Brooklyn, uh, in those areas where we have the highest uh, number of fires, uh, those areas which are more fire-prone. Uh, we will be receiving another 500 uh, in a few weeks. Every firefighter should have their uh, device uh, no later than April 15th. Have you gotten your staff back up to snuff? I, I remember, you know, uh, some time back, you were always short of a few companies, and, and that was a big fuss. Do you have enough men and equipment now to do the job the way you think it should be done? Well, we certainly feel that uh, our department uh, is, is capable of performing the job that's required at, at the present time. Uh, as you know, in, in, in response to your earlier question, uh, when Mayor Koch took over as mayor, he restored uh, the Manning to uh, over 70 companies, which had been cut as a result of the fiscal crisis back in the uh, mid-70s. Uh, we still have some companies that uh, uh, have reduced Manning, but those companies, for the most part, are located in those areas of the city where we have uh, the least amount of fires. But uh, we're, we're very confident. The mayor has been extremely supportive uh, in the past. Last year, he supported us and uh, was instrumental in our obtaining eight additional units. Uh, 
which is was unheard of. I mean, the fire department hasn't had uh, hasn't had enhancements like this uh, in over 20 years. So uh, we're very optimistic. Uh, but as commissioner and as an admirer of the firefighter, I've got to tell you, uh, our people can do the job. But on a morning like this morning, you know, sub-zero weather, it is extremely, you know, hard to. How are you going to fight a fire when as soon as the water comes out, it freezes? Well, that is a problem. That is a problem. That uh, and, and there are some instances where we can't even get water because of frozen, uh, frozen hydrants. But uh, we have operational uh, procedures mm -hmm. which uh, are geared for this type of an emergency condition, this weather that we're experiencing. Uh, we relieve... Uh, our firefighters much sooner than they would normally be relieved had we not had this terrible weather condition. Uh, the water situation, there are other procedures if we find a frozen hydrant to locate water at another location. We have the ability to pump. Uh, so uh, the, the, the main problem, the main problem is the icing uh, and the wear and tear on the human being. But as I say, uh, we have provision to, re to relieve them uh, and, uh, but there's no question, it's a terrible, terrible job being out there on a day like today. And in conclusion, this is, this one final note about this new device that you have, that should bring some, some relief to the men and women. No question about it, no question about it. I think that they, once they realize, uh, how simple this device is to use, and, uh, once they realize, uh, how, uh, well, they do realize, of course, the danger that they're in every day. But once they realize that this will protect them and uh, cause them to be found once they get into trouble, if they get into trouble, uh, I think they're going to be, uh, I think they're going to be very pleased with this. Commissioner Joseph Spinato, the fire commissioner of the city of New York, thank you very much for talking to thank our you. listeners here on WLIB. Thank you. And sir. Joe, thank yes? you. That was a very enlightening interview because I, I just made a comment last night that it seems we, that we see so many fires when the weather is like this. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Joe, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Have a nice day. It's 1214 right now. And of course, we are back on the air with uh, Karen Kennerly and Kirkpatrick Sale from Penn. A couple of questions I would, I would just like to ask you about Penn, the history of Penn. When, and, and of course we know why, but when was it started? 1921, in London, by John Galsworthy. And the American Center was founded in 1922. It was founded, of course, in the wake of World War I, and the first sense of real divisiveness of the world that I think we all had. So it was seemed necessary then to make sure that in the 20th century that writers would be united. By about 1925 or 26, we already had 30 or 40 centers around the world, so it really caught on very quickly. Now, is your membership multiracial? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. okay. The point should be made first, though, that uh, it is international. The, the organization mm -hmm. is international, mm -hmm. and therefore there are centers uh, in Africa, Asia, Latin America, elsewhere, uh, although not as many in Africa as we would like, and there has been some effort by International Pen to foster more centers in Africa. That will see bear fruit probably in the next uh, couple of years. Actually, our current, our current international president is an expert in uh, the literature of black Africa. Really? Yeah. Okay, so you, uh, our you own can... Oh, sorry. No, you consider the organization then to be uh, liberal. Yes. Liberal? Uh, mm -hmm. Liberal. That's no, a that, no, that, that <laughs> would not be, <laughs> that that would not be right. Like uh, 
uh, in, it is no, considered we, we, by those who use that word. Let's put it that way. No, I don't think so. Uh, it would be somewhere, uh, locate itself somewhere differently from uh, liberal, and perhaps not even on the political spectrum in, in any real sense. Mm -hmm. Because these are writers who are talking about writing and culture. Politics will inevitably raise its head from time to time, but I don't think you could locate the writers, either all of those around the world or those in the American Penn Center, uh, in any particular part of the political spectrum. But it is true that the American Center does have uh, writers of all colors and creeds. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about that. The, uh, the black membership in Penn is, uh, to be sure, a minority membership. But uh, there are a goodly number of them, uh, of Indians as well. We have made some serious efforts to try to get uh, Chicano and Puerto Rican members and have uh, not done as well as we might have in that regard, though we are conscious of the need to do that. Why do you think you haven't, haven't been uh, particularly successful in that area? Largely because we tend to be New York-oriented, and uh, it tends to be a, a job for the branches in, say, uh, Texas or California to, uh, to come up with the Chicano writers, and uh, they haven't always, although there, there are some, there are efforts being made. It is also possible that uh, there are plenty of writers who do not know Penn and mm -hmm. who therefore don't come forward to uh, press their own cases. But a writer of Latino background, of course, could contact your uh, organization here? Absolutely. Absolutely. If, 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 they felt, if they felt or if they knew somebody else who qualified mm -hmm. uh, as the writer of two books of literary merit, uh, then uh, by all means we would uh, welcome a chance to uh, look at those candidates. Well, I have been told that uh, black people, black writers, have played a large role in your organization up to this point. Well, we do. Uh, it, we've had. I mentioned the uh, the Silence Voices reading uh, was about of writers from South Africa. Um, we a couple years ago we co-sponsored an event uh, with the Schoenberg Center, the uh, Langston Lives. I don't know if you were there, if you remember it. Uh, we uh, have always, for example, when we had a evening on forbidden books, which was readings of books banned in this country, you know, pulled out of you know schools and libraries. Uh, we had both uh, June Jordan and Toni Morrison reading of books that had been pulled. Um, we uh, had a we have conversations sometimes, um, usually with foreign writers, but sometimes with American writers as well. And uh, one of our more successful ones was a conversation with Jervis Anderson. So shortly after this was Harlem was published, and he talked with Wesley Brown and David Jackson, mm -hmm. and so it goes. And you give awards also. What types of awards have been given up to this point? We give a whole spectrum of awards. Uh, we were the but first. But the, the interesting thing, though, is that in that spectrum are the uh, the the newest and uh, and one of the most prestigious of them, uh, the Penn Faulkner Award. Uh, has uh, I mean the uh, the Ernest Hemingway Award is it? Or no, the, it's the, 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 the Faulkner, Faulkner Award, which which Faulkner. just started uh, four years ago, and of and and given to 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 new work. No, it's not the, the word. Uh, Actually, that's the, the distinguished word. Oh, the Hemingway is right. You're right. The, the I'll see how many awards we give? <laughs> that I, I can't even keep them all the straight. The Ben Faulkner is the for the most distinguished work of fiction published in the United States in the given year. And it's well on its way to becoming, uh, to be considered the award that one can truly trust is finding that work, that book. 
And it's been given four times now, and two of the winners have been black. Oh, who uh, are and they? That, that, that's an astonishing thing yeah. to say. David Bradley and John Weidman last year. Okay. And uh, this is from judges uh, who might be white or black, but who are not judging fiction on those terms at all. They're just looking for the most distinguished book published. Mm-hmm. Which says, which says something uh, perhaps about uh, liberality, uh, not liberalism, <laughs> yeah. uh, and about uh, the condition of uh, black letters today, which seems to be thriving. Mm-hmm. Who are the judges, by the way? They change every year. They're, oh, they're, okay. they're uh, pen members of okay. fiction writers themselves. One of the things that, that makes this award particularly noteworthy is that it is paid for in large part by writers themselves. And judged by writers themselves. It's not a kind of award where you get publishers and booksellers and librarians and other people. This is an award by writers, from writers, to a writer. Okay. I'm going to take this call right here. I know that Karen Kennerly has to go, but I want to thank you right now. I think I'm going to sneak out now, but I know Kirk can uh, okay. <laughs> do wonderfully for the rest of the time. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for being here. We're going to take this one call, and Kirk Patrick Sale and I will talk until Luther Gatling comes. Good afternoon. You're on the air. Hello. Is the caller on the line? Okay, the caller is not on the line. Now, tell me this about some of the other awards, though. I did want to hear you. You said something about the Ernest Hemingway Award? The Ernest Hemingway Foundation Award of uh, $6,000, which is, makes it a uh, one of the richest, as well as the one of the most prestigious awards given for literature in this country for a uh, first work of fiction mm-hmm. by an American. Uh, and uh, it is the sort of award that when the, the the winner comes and says how appreciative they are of forgetting it, uh, they make a special speech, which so far has never failed to be anything but moving, just, um, that brings tears to the eyes of, of people in the audience, because the writer knows the importance of getting an award like this, mm-hmm. particularly because it's a first published work. Mm-hmm. Uh, this This launches the author into the world, and that, and that matters. Now, what do the awards entail? Are they monetary awards? That one is. Uh, I must say that uh, all the rest are l- less rewarding than that one. Uh, we give a uh, translation award for in several different languages, in German, Italian, Japanese, others, uh, which pay less. There is an award for uh, editors, in New York, the those who uh, each year who do most uh, on behalf of literature in general and young writers in particular. There is an award that we give every year that's quite interesting for prison writing. Writers who are in prison who know that Penn has this program and every year can submit to us. And so we have worked with prison writers to encourage them not only because it is a means of rehabilitation and help for those who are in prison, but as a way of locating some writing which might otherwise be hidden. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is obviously a fact there that uh, a number of those entrants and therefore uh, the winners of that prize have been black as well over Mm -hmm. the years. Now, they don't have to be members. None of the, the winners, in fact, have to be members. And obviously, for most of those people in prison, they are not members, and uh, for first writers, they are not members. Uh, but that I- does not matter when we consider the literary merits. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go back to the phones. Good afternoon, you're on the air. Uh, oh. Will you be so kind <coughs> as to make a <coughs> so give that announcement again about the meetings that they're holding uh, in celebration of Negro History Month, Black History Month? 
Okay, the one particular is on the February 25th, I believe. 25th? 22nd? The 25th. 25th. Uh-huh, 25th. And he's going to give the... 2-5 at uh, St. Peter's Church, which is uh, in the city court building at 54th and Lexington at 8 o'clock at night. And on that night, black writers and performers will read from the works of people who have uh, touched them. And David Bradley, Michael Harper, and Gloria Foster, among others, will be there that night. It is open to the public, and uh, all are welcome to come with uh, a suggested $2 donation to help us out. If you should want more information about that, I can give you Penn's telephone number. Please do. It is 334-1660. Right. Thank you. Now, the meeting, did you announce another meeting at um, celebration at uh, St. Bartholomew's Church or something? There will be tonight a new writing award, uh, which will be at uh, the Endicott Bookstore, which is at 450 Columbus Avenue at 81st Street. That's also at 8 o'clock tonight, and uh, that is free. Okay, thank you. And then, of course, when people do come to these uh, sessions, they can make a lot of contacts, too. Well, and the hope is that uh, by doing these events, we can establish a kind of literary community in New York where it's hard enough, God knows, living in this city where everything is so fragmented, but to get writers and editors and people interested in literature together and to talking with one another. Mm -hmm. That is the, the hope of all of these events, and that thereby we can build up not only a group of writers, but a group of people who are concerned with literature, who yeah. care about it. Good. Good afternoon. You're on the air. Hello. Um, I want to know, sometimes a person can write something, okay, that they've been inspired to write, say just one play or one book. Um, how do you tell whether you, you have the ability to be a real writer, a writer continuously, you know, creating something? Well, you can listen to voices inside yourself. That will be the first way. You can listen to friends and colleagues, and you can listen to the opinions of other people in the literary world, and particularly those of editors and publishers. I, the point, however, would be not to be discouraged if some of those other voices told you that the work that you had produced was not good, if you thought it was good. What, what I find myself doing, and, and writers that I know, we produce something, you show it to somebody else, and Penn actually has a new writer's evening, uh, a, uh, a new writing evening, when uh, I have participated in that, when a writer has something that they want to share with their colleagues, reads it cold, and then gets feedback from the people in the audience. Well. You, this is a, a, a piece of advice that you should take to heart. Do that. Listen to what your friends say. Listen to literary people, what they have to say. But then, if you go back and look at the work and you're convinced that the very best thing you can do and you've done it the way you want to, don't be afraid to push it out in the world any way you can by yourself. Take your own voice first. Okay, thank you. Thank you for calling. Good afternoon. You're on the air. Would your guess, uh, Ms. Thompson, indicate the name of the Penn president who is a specialist in black lit and uh, tell me how that individual may be contacted? Yes, indeed. Uh, his name, is, this is the president of International Penn. Yes. The, the president of American Penn, I should add, is Norman Mailer, uh, who has proved oh. to be a, a magnificent president. And uh, he does know a good deal about Egyptian history, as you will know. But the person that Karen referred to 
was Per Vestberg. That's P-E-R-W-E-S-T-B-E-R-G. He, uh, he is Scandinavian, and he is our international pen president. And the way to get a hold of him would be to write to us at Penn. Uh, and uh, that's it. Would his specialty be uh, francophone lit? He he does uh, French as well as English. He oh. is a, a most uh, distinguished uh, scholar. Has been for many years. Uh, has been in fact a publisher who in uh, Sweden who has brought to the attention of Scandinavia many of the writers of Africa whom they might not otherwise know, and they have been uh, French, English, and Portuguese. Uh, you could contact him by writing to Penn at uh, 568 Broadway. I thank you very kindly. Right. Did you get that zip code? Okay, I'm sure she did. If you didn't get the zip code, ma'am, by the way, it's uh, 10012. Let's take another call. Good afternoon. You're on the air? Okay, no, you're not. There's no one there. Tell me something about uh, poetry. Y you know how long ago poetry would always rhyme? And nowadays, when you hear poetry, it doesn't necessarily rhyme, but it gets a beautiful message across. Is poetry that rhymes outdated? It's odd that you should ask that, because one of the books on my, in my stack of manuscripts is my own book of poetry, which has never been published. I want folks to understand that even uh, writers who, uh, who do this for a living, and I've done this for a living now for nearly 20 years, have uh, manuscripts that are still unpublished. Mine is a book of poetry, most of which rhymes. And uh, I believe that uh, if you write unrhymed verse, it is like Robert Frost said, playing tennis with the net down. And I think that there's a reason for rhyme, that it, it uh, is the sort of form that helps one to express one's thoughts better. I have to say at the same time, though, that some of the poems that I like best uh, are those that do not. So there's no easy answer. I think it's ma uh, merely a matter of the pendulum swinging during these last decades, or perhaps uh, most of the 20th century. Pendulum swinging away from too formal attention to rhyme and strict meter, and things are loosening up. I expect that we will see in the decades to come a return somewhat back toward form, attention to meter and rhyme, and to the forms like the sonnet uh, and carefully wrought, carefully done uh, love poems mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and, and small lyrical poems, which are out of fashion, or until recently have been out yeah. of fashion. Yeah, because I, I like to write little poetry, and I find that my poetry always rhymes, and I just write it for myself, or, or for, I wrote some for, for the holidays and sent them on blank holiday cards. But um, well, I get the impression that they're, they're so old-fashioned and amateurish. Well, that, that, of course, is a danger. If, if people think that poetry is what is in Hallmark cards, yeah. then they will start writing things like that, and it is not poetry. It's, it's doggerel, mm -hmm. and uh, it is not of any literary merit, and it is, does not express uh, anything that comes from inside the heart. So strict attention only to rhyming is likely to end up uh, giving us things like Hallmark cards. You're right. uh, so what <laughs> you start with, you start with what's inside that you really have to say. You have to enunciate it and you put it down, and you try to compress it into poetry, if poetry is what you're interested in. Uh, and that's, that's a task of compression. You, you squeeze the feelings that you have 
until uh, you get all of the water, all of the hay out of it, and you're left with the distilled essence of what it is you want to say. That's poetry. Then whether you want to, to work that into rhyme or into strict form is, is another question. I think it's always wise to do so, but, but uh, one doesn't need to. Mm. Nonetheless, the more time you spend going over these things, looking at them, working at them, the better it will ultimately be. One last question before you go, Kirkpatrick. You were talking about censorship earlier and people who have been censored, their works have been censored. Who is censored? Uh, I, I know it's obvious that p many people who write with a political tone are censored, but who else is censored? What is censored? You, you open up a very large question. In this country, obviously, the censorship is not that of the government usually. It is not as it is in, say, Poland or Russia, where it is quite obvious to say what censorship is and who is doing it. In this country, although it is sometimes done by the government, in the case of the CIA, for example, and it is going to be done increasingly by the Reagan government in all federal employees, going to forbid them from writing anything having to do with their experience in government. Uh, in general, in our country, it is done by corporations or publishers. And it is not done that often, but there are overt cases when an author has a book, let us say, about DuPont, and the DuPont people don't want that book published. They can put pressure on the publishers, and this has been done, in fact, not to publish that book or to publish it uh, in a way that we have called privish. That is saying not to make it public, but to make it private. Publish 10 copies, publish 100 copies. Don't put your salesman behind it. Don't make any effort to sell it. That we call privishing rather than publishing. And that sort of thing has been done uh, all too often uh, in this country, especially in the last decade or so. I wouldn't say that it is, it is common by any means, but we can find instances where this is done. How, how do they find out about it? In general, the person will have interviewed somebody connected with the corporation. Mm -hmm. Or Frank Sinatra, for example. Uh, he tried this very same kind of effort to squelch a book that was being written about him. And of course, he knew about it because of interviews that the author had engaged in. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Kirkpatrick Sale, thank you. And let me remind everyone else once again that there is a new writer's evening tonight, sponsored by Penn. And it is at 8 o'clock at 450 Columbus Avenue between 81st and 82nd Street. And of course, on the 25th, they will have um, a writer's evening in celebration of Black History Month, and that'll be at St. Peter's Church, also at 8 o'clock. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you. It was delightful. The credit doctor is here, Luther Gatling. He'll be here in just a few moments. It's 1235. Stay with us. Oh, seems like we've been rehearsing this music for hours. Really? I'm starving, man. Jimmy should be back from Mickey D's in a minute. Hey, here comes Jimmy.